Today's reading from the Word of God comes from the Gospel of Matthew, chapters 25, verses 31 through 46. Please follow along in your own Bibles, on the screen behind me, or listen as I read the scriptures. Once again, that's the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 25, verses 31 through 46. Following the reading, I invite you to respond in worship with the singing of the doxology. At that time, children are invited to join Kids Crew through the door on your right. Hear the word of the Lord. When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit on the throne of his glory. All the nations will be gathered before him, and he will separate people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And he will put the sheep on his right hand and the goats on his left. Then the king will say to those at his right hand, Come, you that are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you welcomed me. I was naked, and you gave me clothing. I was sick, and you took care of me. I was in prison, and you visited me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when was it that we saw you hungry and gave you food, or thirsty and gave you something to drink? And when was it that we saw you a stranger and welcomed you, or naked and gave you clothing? And when was it that we saw you sick or in prison and visited you? And the king will answer them, Truly I tell you, just as you did it to one of the least of these who are members of my family, you did it to me. Then he will say to those at his left hand, You that are accursed, depart from me into the eternal fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, and you gave me no food. I was thirsty, and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger, and you did not welcome me. Naked, and you did not give me clothing. Sick and in prison, and you did not visit me. Then they also will answer, Lord, when was it that we saw you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or naked or sick or in prison and did not take care of you? Then he will answer them, truly I tell you, just as you did not do it to one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. And these will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Good morning. morning. Trisha and I have been attending here since uh, November of 21. And when we were looking at a life beyond uh, active pastoral ministry, we were looking for church with a variety of uh, qualities. We're looking for a church that was Christ-centered, that had um, an open mind and an open heart, had a heart for service, had a mix of ages, and had pastors that were wise and caring. And with that criteria, we can check all those boxes uh, here at Anchor Bay. 
And we're very grateful to our friends, uh, Molly and Bryn Clark, for inviting us to this congregation um, some time ago. We're grateful to be here. Would you pray with me, please? Loving God, mother and father of us all, speak to us through the story that we explore this day, through this parable. May your story speak into our story that we might be both blessed and a blessing to others. We pray this with a spirit of openness and anticipation. And together, let us say, amen. <clears throat> Jesus understood a good story. He used stories known as parables to help us explore what it can mean, feel, and look like to walk in harmony with God. In Matthew 25, verse 31 through 46, Jesus offers us this parable entitled The Parable of the Sheep and the Goats. In the story, he envisions a time when the Son of Man, a phrase referencing himself, and all the angels with him will sit upon the throne of glory. And we begin the story in verse 32. All the nations will be gathered before him, and he will separate people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats, and he will put the sheep at his right and the goats at his left. Here Jesus is setting the scene for the audience then and now to understand what a faithful life looks like. In verse 34, Then the king will say to those at his right hand, referencing the sheep, Come, you that are blessed by my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you welcomed me. I was naked, and you gave me clothing. I was sick, and you took care of me. I was in prison, and you visited me. But the audience, the listeners to this story, they don't get it. What is Jesus talking about? And so the righteous, the sheep, respond to Jesus' story in verse 37. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when was it that we saw you hungry and gave you food, or thirsty and gave you something to drink? And when was it that we saw you, a stranger, and welcomed you, and naked and gave you clothing? And when was it that we saw you sick or in prison and visited you? Here, Jesus' followers are pushing back. It's as if they are saying, Jesus, we know what you look like. We know who you are. You are the Messiah. You are our teacher and healer. You are the miracle worker, worthy of praise and worthy of our reverence. We've never seen you hungry. We've never seen you thirsty, naked, a stranger, or in prison. Never. So I don't know about you, but this parable unsettles me. As with the listeners, then I too prefer, prefer my Jesus when he's preaching to the crowds, healing the sick, turning water into wine calming the storm, walking on water, teaching and blessing and forgiving, and leading us all to heaven. Hallelujah. I want my Jesus to be strong 
and in charge. I want Jesus to be my Lord and Savior. I want the Jesus depicted on my childhood bedroom wall. Contemplative, thoughtful, quietly regal. This is my guy. In truth, I want a Jesus who helps me feel safe and comfortable, who takes care of me and mine. To put it bluntly, there's a self-serving part of me that wants to domesticate Jesus, a part of me that doesn't want to be stretched too far out of my comfort zone. How about you? What is your image of Jesus and where did that image of Jesus come from? Is there a part of you, too, that prefers a Jesus that is safe and who doesn't ask more than we can or would want to give? When I was attending seminary, I was drawn to a theologian named Robert McAfee Brown, who taught in the religious department at Stanford. He said, Every three years, we should take everything we think we know about Jesus and toss it out the window and begin again. He said this to be provocative. He understood that there is a part of us as human beings that want a relationship with Jesus that we can define and understand. And while we'd never admit it, we can control. Robert McAfee Brown understood that Jesus cannot be contained or constrained by our limited human imagination, biases, or prejudices. And we all have our biases, right? We all have our lens by which we look at and understand Jesus and reflect upon how that faith is lived out in our life and time. There's a great song by the uh, rhythm and blues band, the uh, Austin Lounge Lizards. And here's a line from the song. Jesus loves me, but he don't like you. We do that. Some of us more than others. We create Jesus in our own image sometimes. And we look at the world through our own lenses, our own biases, our own life experiences. But Robert McAfee Brown, the theologian, understood that Jesus' heart and Jesus' Love and Jesus' grace is wider and deeper than we can possibly imagine. Do we believe that to be true? Now, Jesus responds to the resistance in the crowd, to the sheep, and he says this in verse 40. And then the king will answer them, Truly I tell you, just as you did it to one of the least who are members of my family, you did it to me. Don't you get it, Jesus is saying to the listeners, you did it to me. So in preparation for this sermon, um, I met with our pastors, Pastor Allie, Pastor Gene, Pastor Ethan, and we read this passage through a couple of weeks ago. It's a wonderful process, such a healthy process that the leadership of this church goes through, so that when the preacher is preaching, it's really a collaboration drawing upon the insight and the wisdom of others. In preparation for, the, for that sermon, Pastor Ethan pointed out that in the New International Version, the translation is, truly I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of me, you did for me. Whereas in the translation we're using today from the New Revised Standard Version, it's, the, the operative phrase is, 
you did to me. So in the New International Version, uh, Pastor Ethan was pointing out, it's for me, which is important. But in the New Revised Standard Version, which, which Ethan was saying is closest to the Greek, Jesus is saying, when you do that, when you feed the hungry, when you clothe the naked, when you visit the prisoner, you're doing it to me. There's a sense of intimacy, this sense of connection that goes deep. For Jesus, there's no separation between himself and us and our brokenness as human beings. For any of us who are parents, we know this to be true. You have your child. Your child is sick. They're spiking a fever. It's three in the morning. You don't know what to do. The medication that the doctor has given to you isn't working, and you're wondering what to do. Do you go to the emergency room? You're, you're scared. And you want to take on the pain of your child. If you could, you would take on the, on the pain of your child, the struggles of your child, and make it your own. Is that true? That's what it's like for Jesus. He so identifies with us as human beings and our brokenness that our pain becomes his pain. And when you, we offer a kindness, when we advocate for the well-being of others, it's as if we are doing it to Jesus himself. The implications are clear that in Jesus' world, the vulnerable among us are included, welcomed, treated as family. And who among us has not felt like an outsider? Who among us has not longed to be welcomed and included? When I was eight or nine, I was in the third grade at Berkeley Elementary School in Cumberland, Rhode Island. And it was only five classes, first through fifth grade. We had grown up with one another, same kids in the same class, year after year. There weren't a lot of new kids that came in. And so one day, we were surprised. About three months into that third grade cl class year, a new student was introduced. The teacher brought him in front of us and he said, this is your new classmate. His name is Edward Eddie Fitz, and he's from West Virginia. And we looked at him, and we kind of uh, eyed him. He was bigger than us. He was kind of rumpled. His clothes didn't match. And he had this accent from a place we had never heard of, West Virginia. And during recess, when classmates really start to sort things out, we began to ridicule and pick on Eddie, because Eddie wasn't one of us. He didn't grow up with us. He, he didn't quite look like us. And one of the students pointed out that he smelled, that his clothes were dirty, that his, his socks didn't match. Our moms made sure that our clothes were laid out before we went to school and everything was neat and, and clean, and that wasn't the case for Eddie. But what really struck us about Eddie was his red hair. It was the reddest hair that any of us had ever seen, and we began to call him Fire Engine Eddie because his hair was as red as a fire engine. And we would chase Eddie, that eight- or nine-year-old boy, around the, around the playground, until he would cry, and we would make the sound of sirens like a fire engine. 
And after about three weeks of being taunted, during recess, Eddie would stand by the teacher who was overseeing the recess, and he would stand there week after week, month after month. And we knew, and he knew, that Eddie Fitz wasn't one of us. A couple of weeks before the end of school, just before the summer break, the teacher said uh, that Eddie would no longer be with us in class. His family had moved away. We didn't ask why. We didn't ask where. Because Eddie Fitz wasn't one of us. All these years later, I've wondered about what happened to that little boy. I feel shame even now about my complicity. I wasn't one of the leaders, but I never stood up for Eddie, because what if the crowd turned against me? Who are the Eddie Fitzes in your life? Who are those wounded ones? I'm going to ask you uh, to respond to a question, and this is not a rhetorical question. Who are the vulnerable among us here on the North Shore? Who are those who are on the margins? Who are the ones often excluded or seemingly invisible? I'm not going to ask you to name anyone uh, individually, but what are the groups of people who are on the margins in our own part of the world? I invite you to just call that out in a loud voice. The homeless. Mentally ill. Mentally Ill. Immigrants. Immigrants. People in nursing homes, often isolated. Pardon me? Those with food insecurity. I'm sorry? The elderly. People get isolated, can't get around. Ethnic minorities. I'm sorry? The LGBTQ community. The list can be very long, right? And I'm sure if we took our time today, there would be many more names, many more categories that we would call out. Towards the end of this morning's parable, Jesus gets even more direct with his audience. Now he's speaking to the goats. Verse 25. Verse 45, truly I tell you, just as you did not do it to one of the least of these, you did not do it to me, says Jesus, and these will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous to eternal life. I'd like to pause here for a moment um, and recognize that this passage with its phrase about eternal judgment may be a trigger for some of us. Some of us have been wounded by organized religion, by those in authority who insist on a specific and narrow, and narrow parameters as to what constitutes right belief and action, those who would tell us who is in and who is out. 
I'll simply say in response that in this parable, the judgment is reserved for those whose hearts are too small, whose compassion is too limited, and whose doors are closed metaphorically or literally. These are the ones that Jesus identifies with. These outsiders, these invisible ones, are Jesus' family. And when we disregard those folk, we are disregarding Jesus himself. And so I ask the question again, when was the last time you felt on the margins or overlooked? Perhaps you have to go back in your memory bank to remember such a time. For others of us here this very morning, the feeling is very fresh. So let's fast forward from my eight, nine-year-old self about 20 years. And I am a, a youth pastor in Vallejo, California, northern part of San Francisco Bay. It's a military town. Uh, there's a lot of uh, intract, in, intractable poverty that that community had been dealing with for a long time. It was a place with a lot of violence, a lot of crime. People literally uh, sold drugs right off the very front steps of that church. And on Sonoma Boulevard, there was the church that I was serving. And there was a bus stop about half a block up. And several times a day, the bus would stop and people would come off. And a number of those folks would come to the church. Because a number of those people had just been dropped off from prison whether it be at San Quentin Prison or at Folsom Prison, because in California at that time, when you were paroled, you were paroled to the community where you committed the crime. And a lot of crimes had been committed in Vallejo, California. And our church provided a voucher for, for a meal at the diner on the other side of the street. And we had a washer and dryer in the basement, and we had a shower, and the word was out that when you get out of prison and you got off that bus... You could go to the church, knock on the door, and they would help you out a little bit. And that's what we did. Now, on one particular day, I was a youth pastor. I'm getting ready for a church campout trip. We're going to take the church bus, and there are lots of details. It's like herding cats. There's no email. There's no texting. And you're just fielding phone calls, people wondering what time you start. And so I'm, I'm dealing with all of those distractions. In my mind, that's my real ministry getting ready for this church camp out. But my role that day is also to welcome people when they come in asking for a food voucher or to, to use the washer or dryer. So one day I, I, I'm there and people come in and I kind of look at them, I ask for a, a, an ID, I have to show a picture ID so we know that the person is who they say they are. And one person comes up and he kind of mumbles that he's needs a food voucher, and could he take a shower? And so I ask, without looking up, I ask for his ID. And he gives me an out-of-date license from several years before, because he had, turns out he had been in jail for several years. And I look at it, and my heart almost stops, because the name on that license is Edward Fitz. And I look at his age. He's, he's born the same year as me. And then I look up into his face, and it is weather-worn. This, this guy is my age, but he had done some hard living. But he looked familiar. And then I noticed his hair. It was red. And if I used my imagination, I could say it was fire engine red. 
And now my heart is racing, and I am praying and hoping that he is that same Eddie Fitz from my playground, that Eddie Fitz that I had wondered about and worried about all these years. And I said, now this is in California, I said, did you ever go to school in Rhode Island when you were a kid? And he looked at me uh, kind of curiously, and he paused for a moment, and he said, no. He said, I grew up in Nebraska, and I moved to Vallejo with my family when I was in middle school, and this is my hometown now. And then in my 20s, I got into trouble, and I've been up in Folsom Prison the last six years, and now I'm trying to make a fresh start. He wasn't my Eddie Fitz, but he was. And I can tell you that whatever this Eddie Fitz needed, he got. The church pulled together because when you get out of prison at that time, you were given $50. $50 to pay first and last month's rent to make a fresh start. We provided that first and last month's rent. We found an apartment. A member of the church offered Eddie a job. We helped him move in the furniture. We helped him to get, it, get settled in. And while we were becoming friends with this Eddie Fitz, I felt like Jesus was in the room with me. I saw Jesus in the face of this, this young man who had gone through such a hard time. I felt like Jesus was with us. And I feel like Jesus was with my Eddie Fitz, that afraid, ostracized, marginalized eight- or nine-year-old boy so long ago. Do you believe that Jesus is with the marginalized, the invisible? The good news in Matthew 25 is that we are all part of Jesus' family. One thing I learned from 40 years of being a pastor and 67 years of living as a, is that none of us has our act completely together. This is certainly true for me. Look below the surface of any human life, and we all have struggles and wounds that we carry. It's what makes us human. The good news is that Jesus meets us in our vulnerability. Jesus loves us, holds us, cherishes us, and blesses us. It is Jesus who sees us. It is Jesus who sees us. Do we believe that to be true? And it is Jesus, that same Jesus, who calls us to see and walk alongside our vulnerable neighbors. We are called to see with the eyes of Jesus and to love with the heart of Jesus. Outside the cathedral in Madrid, Madrid, Spain, is a statue of the homeless Jesus asleep on a bench. Some find it controversial. Some say it's undignified. Yet for many of us, it reflects the essence of Jesus' teachings in Matthew 25, a reminder of Jesus' absolute solidarity with us in the brokenness of the human condition. So what about right here at Anchor Bay? I see the vision of Matthew 25 being lived into. I think of Connie and Bruce and Marsha who provide leadership in serving a nutritious dinner 
each month to neighbors in need. They cook wholesome food for neighbors who may not have access to a kitchen. They provide tasty, soft food for people with dental issues. They know their neighbors by name. They know their stories. And with each plate served, they are serving Jesus and Jesus' family. And if you'd like to help out in this monthly ministry, just talk to these good folks, and they'll point you in the right direction. I think of Open Door Immigration Services, OTIS, a program established by Anchor Bay, which provides practical assistance via, via legal expertise to help immigrant neighbors work their way through an extremely complicated, lengthy, and costly process to achieve legal status and opportunity here in the United States. Otis, primarily made up of volunteers, listens to the hopes, fears, and dreams of each applicant. Each person who comes to Otis, often out of the most difficult of circumstances, knows that they are seen. They know that they are known. And if you'd like to get involved, speak with Catherine or speak with Aaron. And then there's Serve Sunday, this coming week, which is an opportunity for this church to get outside the walls. Each fifth Sunday, we volunteer at a community nonprofit, visit nursing homes, cook meals to be given away, and the list goes on. Each expression of compassion is a gift of communion. It's a place of worship. It's a place of meaning. It's a place of deep communion with our Lord. And now a question for us individually. Who are the vulnerable that Jesus is calling you and calling me to reach out to? Let me offer a few suggestions. Just a few. If you see someone on the street that you think is homeless, and there is a significant homeless population or people who are housing insecure right here in Beverly and in Salem and other places in the North Shore as well. If you see someone who is homeless or hungry, say hello. Make eye contact. Ask how their day is going. And when you do so, you're saying hello to Jesus. Carry some Dunkin' Donut cards for $5 or $10 and hand them out to a person that you think could use a cup of coffee and a muffin or two. And if it feels right, ask if they would like some, co some company with their cup of coffee. Volunteer at a nonprofit, and if you don't know, know where to start, ask one of our pastors. Listen and learn from the stories of those whose life experience may be different than yours. Be present to those wrestling with a mental health challenge or an addiction, and be with their family members who often feel isolated as well. And if you don't already, get to know neighbors in, in the LGBTQ plus community. Listen to their stories. Listen to their concerns, their hopes, their dreams. Listen with the heart and with the mind and with the openness of Jesus. And remember, and remember that as we open our hearts and extend our hands, we are reaching out to Jesus himself, and we are reaching out to those that Jesus loves so dearly.
when we live into, to the best of our ability, the gospel in Matthew 25, we are blessing to others, but we are also blessed. This is the good news. Thanks be to God, and may God's people say, Amen.